Big news out of the corporate news world. Two familiar talking heads are out on the same day. What's going on when Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon both lose their jobs on the same day? Weird. And last week, we talked about socialism coming to America. And right on cue, the Biden administration makes sure that it keeps on coming. Get ready to be financially punished for having a good credit score. And we discussed why Christians can't be socialist. You need to know the facts so that you can be informed. Welcome to your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch, live. Okay, everybody, it is The Deep End, episode 30, season six on The Deep End, and I am your humble host, Tim Hatch, here on youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. If you would, do me a favor and click that subscribe button or the like button or the notification bell so that you can get notified on your smartphone every time we go live. And I would appreciate if you clicked all three. Glad to have you here. Spring is coming at us fast. And it seems like the world is going upside down. Yes, we've got to talk about what's happening on the corporate news side of our country, which is part of the problem with our country. So let's do Deep End News. Deep, 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 deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. What does it say when both Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson are out of their respective left and right wing news positions on the same day? Coincidence? I don't think so. Now, it should be noted that I'm a fan of Tucker Carlson. I'm actually a big fan of Tucker Carlson. He's one in very few, one in a million in terms of the people who are willing to take a chance and tackle the real news items of the day that we aren't allowed to hear because the people who run the news organizations don't want us to know them. Tucker Carlson in the last couple of months tackled the Ashley Biden diary, which was actually proven to be true that the president's daughter talked about showering with her father when she was a 12 year old and thought it was kind of inappropriate. And uh, that was also covered up by the news or industry, the corporate news industry. He also took on the programmed assassination of JFK at the hands of our government. JFK, one of the greatest threats to big government, as he famously proclaimed, ask not what your country can do for you a.k.a. socialists, ask what you can do for your country. Um, and then he released, Tucker Carlson did, the January 6th tapes that the federal government was hiding from you. The Congress was hiding these tapes from you, and he broadcast them on his show on the air, showing that the January, January 6th insurrection was actually a more like an invitation, as um, even those videos being released got Jacob Chansley, the Viking horn-wearing QAnon shaman out of prison because it was found that he was walked around the Capitol by Capitol Police on the same day that the people on the political side of the aisle that hates that kind of person was claiming he was a violent insurrectionist trying to kill people. Uh, Tucker Carlson also covered the died suddenly epidemic, which I have spoken about on this show. And he was also exposing and about to expose more on how big pharma spends big money on the news to promote their vaccines. So, it is a is it big government coming for you? I mean, last week AOC was talking about how Tucker Carlson needed to be suppressed because he held different political views than she did. But on the same day, Tucker Carlson is released from Fox News or walked away from Fox News. I'm not sure what's really happening, and I guarantee you don't know what's really happening behind closed doors either. Don Lemon was terminated by CNN. He took to Twitter to complain about it, but then CNN put out a report saying, no, they wanted to meet with him and he refused to meet. And so they just fired him. Um, I have a take that's not so uh, conspiracy driven. Um, here's my thought. Hang in with me for a moment. Perhaps both of these men 
Don Lemon on the right, um, Don Lemon on the left, <laughs> and Tucker Carlson on the right are out because the heads of these news organizations sense that they might have blood on their hands. What do I mean by that? Well, recently, the manifesto from the Louisville shooter at the bank a couple of weeks ago was released and made public, and it revealed that his motives might have been inspired by our left-right political discourse. Evidently, according to the Washington Examiner, the Louisville shooting killer wanted to know, wanted to show, sorry, the ease of purchasing guns. And then he also wanted to uh, highlight mental illness in the country, and he wanted to die by suicide. Now, here's why I say that may be the reason why these kind of like polarizing political talking heads in the news are out on the same day is because there's a group of people behind the scenes that really do pull the strings on what we see on television news. And they feel like, wait a second, maybe we're going too far with demonizing each other's point of view. Like CNN is all in on gun control every time there's a shooting. And Fox News is all in on the, um, you know, the fentanyl crisis because of the open border policy of the Biden administration. And that's why people are dying. And so, you know, you have this constant friction and you are in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of it where, where we have these extreme personalities driving the rhetoric up, ramping up our hostilities towards our fellow citizens up on a continued night-by-night -night basis, wherein now it has led to outrage and violence. And the news organizations are probably sitting there saying, wait, maybe we need to draw some things back. Maybe we need to pull back the reins on what we allow on the air. Now, I'm all for freedom of speech and I'm all for the freedom of the press. Now, do we have freedom of the press? I don't think so because YouTube suppresses content from this channel and many other channels that the uh, fascists at YouTube disagree with. Um, and then you have the corporate profit-driven news uh, outlets such as CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, the three you know biggest 24-hour news networks on television who have to constantly pump you full of news and information, stir up your emotions to get you paying attention long-term so that they can sell you products during their commercial breaks. Now, on this channel, there are no commercial breaks. You will notice that because this is not a profit-based news program. This is a Christian biblical worldview-based news program. And some of you support it financially and thank you for what you do, but we are beholden to no one. I do not share opinions based on what I think will rile you up. I share news on what you need to know because you are a Christian living in a culture that is falling apart quickly, and you need to know how to handle that from a biblical mindset. That's what the deep end is all about. That's what this channel is all about. Now, all that being said, that's my positive take on why both guys are out on the same day. Maybe there's the, you know, the, 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 the string pulling machine of the news network saying let's pull the rhetoric back let's calm things down because if another shooting happens because of the gun debate or the fentanyl debate or whatever other debate that needs to be taking place maybe we have blood on our hands and maybe we need to stop maybe we need to do something I, let's let's consider that as a positive take i am not suggesting that that's the truth but the thought occurred to me that they're thinking those those things now on the other hand back to my original argument i'm a big fan of tucker carlson he will take he did take on the news items that you would not hear about anywhere else even on other personalities on fox news like tucker carlson talked about the jfk assassination no one was willing to talk about that no one and and this died suddenly pandemic like epidemic like i said 
But but maybe this is another reason why Tucker Carlson was fired recently, as in this past weekend. He called out the abortion and transgender madness in a way that I haven't even heard preachers talk about. And I have that video here speaking at the Heritage Foundation gathering this weekend. Tucker Carlson, a Episcopalian, admitting that his religion is shallow and maybe our country is falling apart because we are promoting these ideologies that actually destroy cultures and we need to wake up to it. I want to play this clip in its entirety. It's about six minutes. Bear with me because what he says is tremendously both self-effacing as an Episcopalian, honest as a human, and powerful as a man who who sees the carnage that is American reality right now. Watch. And so we write our papers and they write their papers and may the best papers win. I, I don't think that's what we're watching now at all. I don't think we're watching a debate over how to get to the best outcome. I think that's completely wrong. And I've come to this conclusion, not, and I should say at the outset, I'm an Episcopalian, so don't take any theological advice from me because I don't have any. I love that. <laughs> An honest Episcopalian for once. I grew up in the foul, shallowest faith tradition that's ever been invented. It's not even a Christian religion at this point. Um, I say with shame. But I'm just saying this as an observer of what's going on. There is no way to assess, say, the transgenderist movement with that mindset. Policy papers don't account for it at all. If you have people who are saying, I have an idea, let's castrate the next generation. Let's sexually mutilate children. I'm sorry, that's not a political debate. What? There's nothing to do with politics. What's the outcome we're desiring here? An androgynous population? Is that really what we are? Are we arguing for that? I don't, I don't think anyone could like, defend that as a positive outcome. But the weight of the government and uh, you know, a lot of corporate interests are behind that. Well, what is that? Well, it's irrational. If you say, well, you know, I think abortion is always bad. Well, I think sometimes it's necessary. That's a debate I'm familiar with. But if you're telling me that abortion is a positive good, what are you saying? Well, you're arguing for child sacrifice, obviously. It's not about like, oh, a teen, you know, a teen girl gets pregnant. And what do we do about that? And victims of rape, I, you know, I get it. I, of course, I understand that. And I have compassion for everyone involved. But when the Treasury Secretary stands up and says, you know what you can do to help the economy get an abortion? Well, you, that's like an Aztec principle, actually. There's not a society in history that didn't practice human sacrifice. Not one. I checked. Even the Scandinavians, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, he's right about this, by the way. Every historical human civilization practiced some form of child sacrifice, including <laughs> young people. The Native Americans and their tribes who lived here before the evil Christian colonists arrived on these shores. It wasn't just the Mesoamericans, it was everybody. So like, that's what that is. What's the point of child sacrifice? Well, there's no policy goal entwined with that. No, that's a theological phenomenon. And that's kind of the point I'm making. None of this makes sense in conventional political terms. When people or crowds of people or the largest crowd of people at all, which is the federal government, the largest human organization in human history, decide that the goal is to destroy things, destruction for its own sake. Hey, let's tear it down. What you're watching is not a political movement, it's evil. 
So if you want to assess, and I'll put it in non, and I'll stop with this. I'll put it in non, I'll put it in non-political, uh, or non, rather non-specific theological terms, and just say if you want to know what's evil and what's good, what are the characteristics of those? And by the way, you know, I, I think the Athenians would have agreed with this. This is not necessarily just a Christian notion. This is kind of a, I would say, widely agreed upon understanding of good and evil. What are its products? What do these two conditions produce? Well, I mean, good is characterized by order, calmness, tranquility, peace, whatever you want to call it, lack of conflict, cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's true. It is. And evil is characterized by their opposites. Violence, hate, disorder, division, disorganization, and filth. He's right about that, by the way. Now, the Bible doesn't say cleanliness is next to godliness, but there's a lot of cleanliness laws in the book of Leviticus. You know that book that you skip when you try to read the Bible in a year? <laughs> a lot of washings and a lot of ceremonies about that and a lot of food prescriptions about how to take care of yourself bodily. We don't notice that because we live in a very modern society, which has the benefits of you know hand sanitizer and, and soap and cleansing, cleaning, cleaning products. But the, the Bible itself is a very pro-clean... <laughs> Uh, document in human history, one of the cleanest. And he makes a very valid argument. You have to take the moral guidelines of the Bible in hand in hand with the cleanliness uh, uh, laws of the Bible and say, look, it, it's right on both accounts, both the moral cleanliness and the physical cleanliness laws. They're both valid in the scriptures. Very good point that he makes there. So if you are all in on the things that produce the latter basket of outcomes, what you're really advocating for is evil. That's just true. I'm not calling for religious war, far from it. I'm merely calling for an acknowledgement of what we're watching, which is not what, and I'm not, certainly not backing the Republican Party. I mean, ugh. I'm not making a partisan point at all. I'm, I'm just noting what's super obvious. Like those of us who are in our mid-50s are caught in the past in the way that we think about this. One side's like, no, no, you know, I've got this idea and we've got this idea and let's have a debate about our ideas. They don't want a debate. Those ideas won't produce outcomes that any rational person would want under any circumstances. Those are manifestations of some larger force acting upon us. It's just so obvious. It's no, did you hear what he said? They're manifestations of some larger force acting upon us. He's talking about a spiritual war that we're in. And this is, a, this is a, a primetime news host that is now out of his job at a supposedly conservative news station. Just kind of interesting that this is all happening right now. Completely obvious. And I think two things. One, we should say that and stop engaging in these totally fraudulent debates where we are using the terms that we used in 1991 when I started at Heritage as if maybe, you know, I could just win the debate if I marshaled more facts. I've tried that, doesn't work. And two, maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. Mm, there we go. I'm serious. Like, there why not? And I'm saying that to you, not as some kind of evangelist. I'm literally saying that to you as an Episcopalian. <laughs> the Samaritans of our time. I'm coming to you 
from the most humble and lowly theological position you can. I'm literally an Episcopalian, okay? And even I have concluded it might be worth taking just 10 minutes out of your busy schedule to say a prayer for the future, and I hope you will. Powerful. Powerful stuff from Tucker Carlson at uh, the Heritage Foundation over the weekend and the next day or the second day after that, he's out at Fox News. Um, he makes some incredible points. The destruction, those, those people who are calling for the destruction of the world are evil. The destruction of man and woman, the destruction of marriage, the destruction of family, the destruction of children and their, their bodies before they're even adults. This is an evil. Proof that there's a group that is bent on destroying things, even far off things. Imagine an, a magazine devoted to brides, brides, B-R-I-D-E-S, from a third world country, highlighting the beauty of male brides. Not M-A-I-L order brides. No, M-A-L-E brides. This is from the Indian publication Brides, Brides Today magazine, and it is profiled men dressed as Indian, <laughs> Indian brides. And you can check out, this is a real story. It's over at bridestoday.in. Just in case you were interested, there is no rest for the gender-confused those who want to destroy the world from the ground up, they are making headway even to the, into the largely Hindu and Muslim populations of the world. They won't be satisfied until all is destroyed. That's the news. Now we got to talk about socialism coming into America in a deep end follow-up from last week. The, the, the deep, deep, deep end follow-up. So last week we talked about this. Capitalism is moving out, uh, a.k.a. huge companies are moving out of American cities because they cannot make a profit because of the large inswath of criminality in those cities. And socialism is being called on and uh, being begged for by particularly the younger generations. And right on cue, as soon as I talk about those things, it's like the news actually makes my point for me because the Biden administration just introduced a heinous new socialist rule in the name of economic quote-unquote fairness and i bring you news out of reason magazine to talk about this the title of the article is borrowers with high credit scores penalized under new federal mortgage fee plan so what's going to happen is if you have a good credit score that is your you know your your, your monetary credit score i think all you need is about a 650 and above you are going to be charged an extra 40 dollars on a on a governmental federal fee to your mortgage so that you can help pay for the mortgages of those without good credit i, I kid you not this is actually happening and reason magazine talks about this mortgage borrowers with Good credit will face higher credit, higher costs under a new scheme from the Federal Mortgage Association. The firms have released a new low-level uh, price adjustment, LLPA, matrix for loans sold to them after May 1st, 2023. Under the new matrix, borrowers with high credit scores will face higher mortgage fees than before, and those with lower credit scores will face lower fees. It's unprecedented, David Sir Stevens, a former federal housing commissioner and former CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, told the New York Post, my email is full of from mortgage companies and CEOs telling me how unbelievably shocked they are by this move. The fee increase is likely to lead to significantly higher mortgage payments for most borrowers. For instance, someone with a $400,000 loan and a 6% mortgage rate may wind up paying about $40 more per month. But an extra $40 a month means $480 a year. And over the course of a mortgage, whole mortgage repayment, a homeowner could wind up paying thousands 
of dollars or more due to the fee shift. So this is, and make no bones about this, this is just full on socialism. This is the government getting involved in your economics to make sure that those people who should probably not get the loan they should have, they, they want, get the loan that they want. And if you get a loan that you should have, you should pay for it. Uh, the Washington Times has more information on this. Uh, they write that it is a confusing approach that won't work. This is, again, Mr. Stevens talking about it. Um, and it's coming at a time, one of the worst uh, times in the mortgage industry. Uh, it's been rocked by higher uh, interest rates, as you've probably experienced yourselves if you're looking for a house or about to purchase a house. Uh, this article goes on to say, under the new mortgage financing rules, home buyers with higher credit ratings and lower down payments will qualify for better mortgage rates and discounted fees. Now, the problem here is, back in 2008, are you old enough to remember this? That when the banks got in the business of giving people loans who probably should not have had them because they did not deserve them, because they did not prove themselves credit worthy, ultimately ballooned the housing market into this false bubble. It popped because the people who couldn't pay their mortgages didn't pay their mortgages. And then the whole system crashed. And then springing into action to save us from our sins economically was President Obama. That's what happened in 2008. And now it's like we're going back to that. Like when we subsidize people, when we penalize people who are, who are responsible, to subsidize those who are irresponsible, it doesn't go well. 2008 taught us that. We should know this. But no, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, as the saying often goes. And this is, again, like I said, this is socialism. Because socialism is the government getting in involved to make sure that everything is fair. And fairness ended at the Garden of Eden. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no such thing as fair. Stop searching for fair. Stop asking for things to be fair. Stop expecting things to be fair. You live in a sinful world with fallen humanity, and there's no such thing as fair. You will be swindled sometimes. You will be scammed sometimes. You will be robbed. You will be mistreated by employees or employers. And somebody might just disown you because of some unfair thing. That's the fruit of sin. That's the condition of our present age. We are waiting for the justice to come from Jesus Christ. And until that happens, any quest for justice will always be tainted and poisoned by injustice from the other end of the spectrum. That's what you have here with the Biden administration. And they are also playing on the desires of the young. Because as all the reports that I'm finding support, it is the younger generation that wants more socialism. Nearly half, this is Christian Post reporting, nearly half of Gen Z Americans view socialism favorably, according to a recent survey. This article stipulates that the majority of young people want government to seize control of railways, electric utilities, and quote-unquote other companies. Which companies those are is quite vague, but they want more control by the government of companies in our country. Now, the reasoning is what exactly, young people? Because the post office and the DMV are so awesome, you go to hang out there every day. Oh, no, wait, that's Starbucks, a free market business. Uh, no, when we talk about socialism, when they talk about socialism, I don't even know they realize what they're talking about, what they're cutting themselves off from. What do they think it is? I mean, I found this article from NBC News. This is their think section. Uh, Millennials support socialism because they want to make America great, but for everyone. And the definition here on this article says that socialism... The better definition, at least as far as economic dimensions of socialism, is the concept of, quote, worker control, end quote. What socialists have, disliked, socialists have disliked is the concentration of wealth and power in the hands of a small number of people. What they have demanded is that ordinary working people get their fair share of wealth. Some socialists have believed strongly in the power of government. Others believe that worker cooperatives or syndicates could give workers their share. Uh, so this is the argument. The 
ESG argument, uh, stakeholder capitalism argument that the WEF is a big fan of, and I've talked about it on this program before, but what it is is that people who actually don't have any skin in the game get responsibility for the game. That is a problem. That is a terrible idea. You, you cannot argue for the ownership of things when the people who own them had no part in making them. Um, you don't want somebody to take responsibility for your house if you worked for your house who had no part in building your house, do you? Like you don't, you don't want somebody just borrowing your car for the weekend and not owning it, but because of fairness and they don't have their car, they should just be able to borrow your car whenever they desire. Like you wouldn't want that, would you? And so to that end, we have to discuss this point. Why can't Christians be socialists? Because I get it, Christians, and particularly young Christians. I totally understand it. I hear you. It sounds very Christian, doesn't it? It sounds very nice. Uh, Bernie Sanders famously at the Bronx rally that he held with AOC during the 2020 election talked about looking at a person that you don't know in the audience and, and asking yourself a very important question. Are you willing to fight for them the same way you fight for yourself? Are you willing to make sure that they get what they want as much as you want to get what you want? And, and it was a very rousing speech, a, a very Christian-esque kind of message, like caring for people who can't care for themselves. That's a Christian message. And, and, and helping the downtrodden and lifting people up out of poverty. These are Christian ideals. I get it. However, there also has to be a huge uh, messaging to young people and to our country about the matters of incentive and responsibility. You, you see, what does God give Adam and Eve in the garden? He gives them the, the beauty of the garden, but it is that. It is a garden, and gardens take work, and gardens take responsibility, and gardens take cultivation. And here's the number one reason why Christians cannot be socialists, because it's a matter of incentive and responsibility. In other words, you have to have skin in the game. The question that I have is, if you don't have to work for what you gain, why would you work to keep what you gain? So, so somebody doesn't own it, somebody doesn't work for it, and we're supposed to expect that when you give it to them, they're going to take care of it? Have you ever seen the difference between a rental property and a home that is owned by someone? I mean, just look at them. Does anybody see the difference between Section 8 housing, which is government subsidized housing, and neighborhoods where people own their properties? These are, these are, this is not a skin color issue. This is a economics issue. This is how God ordained us to live. First off, it's not ours. That's the principle of scripture. Psalm 24 talks about this and, and the law, the Torah talks about this. Everything belongs to God. We are managers and caretakers, but God has put it in our hands to care for it for our benefit and for the benefits of our neighbors, but ultimately in responsibility toward him. You got to work for it. You got to maintain, it. you got to hold on to it. And, and all you got to do is look at the rich people from a generation ago or from a century ago. Like who were the rich people a century ago? Think about the names. Who were they? Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, the Roosevelt's, are their children now the leading money makers and wealthiest people on this earth? No. Today it's Elon Musk and Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, and they came from nothing and worked their heart out to become who they are today. Um, that is when you have skin in the game. That's what incentive and responsibility produce. And God is a is a fan of wealth. He he's the one who gives us wealth. Deuteronomy talks about that. And it's not the riches that are the problem, it's our attitude toward riches that are the problem. Understand that Jesus himself got a free ride in a grave from a rich man. He didn't rise from the grave and say, now give your grave away there, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. He was like, thank you for the grave. I only needed three days. Now let's save the world. I mean, that was, that was the message of Jesus. It's not that riches are bad, it's our attitude toward them. And hear me, young socialists, 
you can be greedy and poor at the same time. In fact, I think that's a little bit of what political socialism is. It's greed masked in a political ideology. You want somebody else's money and you want someone to take it from them and give it to you or give it to somebody else. Uh, isn't that exactly what Jesus experiences in Luke 12 when the guy says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, I'm not your judge and arbiter. That's not my job. And then he says to that man who didn't have the inheritance, he says, be on your guard against all forms of greed. There are several forms of greed. And yes, free market capitalists can be greedy, but so can, you know, share everything socialists be greedy. And there's a second issue here with why Christians can't be socialists. It's a matter of heart and community. We've got to talk about the soul of a country. Now, weeks ago, Joe Biden, our president, declared that transgenders make up the soul of our country in a White House statement. And that is just patently false. No, the soul of our country is the good that we do for others, not the praise or identity we seek for ourselves. If, if you lived next to someone here, let me throw this, this out there for you. If you live next to someone and you find out they're, they're, they're your neighbor, you both own your houses. Of course, the bank really owns the houses and you're making payments, but you find out that he needs a thousand dollars to make his payment. Generosity says you've got the thousand dollars pay for it. Make, make your neighbor, help your neighbor out. That's called generosity. Socialism says, no, we need government top-down control to make sure that that guy doesn't lose his house because of $1,000 payment. So let's tax everybody a little bit to hire some government bureaucrat to distribute money equally to the people who need it uh, and who may have been irresponsible in managing their money in the first place. And what that produces is bigger government, more centralized control in your country, less freedoms and opportunity for you because the taxes are going to come out of your pocket. There is no such thing as anything. Uh, there is no such thing as a free thing from the government. You're paying for it. And it is basically top-down government control. It is when the government takes money from you to subsidize people who have been dishonest or mismanaged their money. As is the case with Silicon Valley Bank a couple of months ago. Silicon Valley Bank was about to be, it went under and it was about to be liquidated. All the deposit accounts were about to be liquidated, minus the 250000 that are FDIC insured. And what did the government do? The government stepped in, broke the federal mandates and regulations, and basically guaranteed all the deposits of all the people. And most of those people are filthy rich people from Silicon Valley. So, so the government stepped in, and this is what happens. The government stepped in, broke their own rules, and subsidized rich people with your tax money. That's exactly what's happening with the government proposed idea of bailing out people with $10,000 of their student loans. Most of the people who are going to uh, be uh, applied that benefit, that fake free money, are people with graduate degrees making uh, up to $120,000 or more a year. Is that... Is that helping out the poor? I mean, if you're making $120,000 a year, the cap is $250,000 for a household. That's two people making $125,000 a year. Um, those are not poor people. And uh, wouldn't you know that most of the White House interns and staff members are would qualify for the student loan bailout program under the Biden administration's laws and practices. But that's for another argument. The reality is this. Generosity is lacking in our country. And when we see generosity lacking... Well, we look to the government to say, produce more generosity by fiat, by executive fiat, by legislative fiat. And that doesn't produce a happier, healthier country. That just produces more taxation and centralized government and more control from the top down, more control of your life. Because the research makes it clear, practicing Christians are far more generous than their secular counterparts. 
upwards of 40% more likely to donate to charity than non-Christians. And churchgoers are 75% more likely to, to donate than non-church attendees, according to recent research. Americans who generously support charitable organizations, including churches and other nonprofits, are overwhelmingly practicing Christians, 90% of them, and church attenders at 87%. A report from Philanthropy Roundtable found out that if you have less God or less Christianity, you have less giving. Uh, who did more volunteer work? Practicing Christians. Who gave to the poor? 65% to 41% those who went to, went to church on a regular basis. Who gave the most in annual charitable contributions? Those who attend religious services 27 to 52 times per year. Those who do not attend religious services are abysmal in their giving. Why? Because their mindset is, I don't want to give him my money. I want the government to tell everybody to give their money. But it's not going to work long term because eventually you run out of other people's money. Oh, by the way, even to secular organizations, Christians give a full 15% more of their money than non-Christians. So case in point that I'm making, Christians should be generous. They shouldn't be socialists. Because Christians believe that giving should be a matter of neighborliness, love for one another, uh, a sense of community, a sense of responsibility for one another. What was, what was Cain's first argument with God after he killed Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Not the government, you. You should care for your neighbor, love your neighbor. And if the government's busy caring for your neighbor, it says you don't have to, it creates less neighborliness. And this is why we have a coach of isolation and depression, anxiety, distrust of neighbors. I kid you not, I walked down the street from my house <laughs> the other day, knocked on somebody's door who I didn't really know. They didn't know me. They didn't even open the door. They opened a window and talked to me through the window. It was strange. But that is the culture that we have become, a culture where we distrust each other and we want government to come in and be mom and dad and kind of make us work together against our wills. When you have less God, you get less generosity. When you have less generosity, you look to more government. When you have more government, you get less neighborliness. And this is why you can't turn to the government to solve these problems. You've got to turn to the faith, the faith of Christianity that produces a godly giving heart. Not only does it produce a godly giving heart, it produces a less anxious, more positive heart. Newsweek reporting that Christian young adults are less anxious about the future than their peers who don't go to church. Uh, this is a study that says religiosity in the United States may be declining, but millennials and Gen Zers who go to church report better mental health and fewer feelings of anxiety about their futures, according to this new study by a Christian polling firm. And uh, further insights find that 51% of self-reported practicing Christians who regularly attend church reported feeling optimistic about the future, in contrast to about 34% of respondents who do not identify with religion that said that they were optimistic. So the point being that if you go to church, you're more you're less anxious, so you're more positive. If you don't go to church, you're more anxious and less positive. What do you want? I know what the government wants. The government doesn't want you to feel optimistic. It wants you to feel like everything's about to collapse and they're here to save the day. And that is the appeal of socialism, particularly from young people. Again, back to, back to young people. Um, years ago, Cabot Phillips, who works for the Daily Wire now, but he started with a uh, YouTube channel called Campus Reform and he went to college campuses and would ask about uh, societal issues amongst the college age kids there. And this video is fantastic where he asks college age kids on a college campus about socialism and they're all for it until it comes home and costs them personally. Watch this. Which would you rather have in America, socialism or capitalism? I would say socialism. How do you view the word socialism, favorably or unfavorably? I guess I would go with favorably. Like I have family in Europe, they go to college for free, their healthcare is paid for, they don't have to worry about it at all. I favor that over capitalism. Okay, got it. I also think I favor that, like, socialism over capitalism. Socialism is more 
geared toward like helping the people in your you know, the governed. I'd rather people have that same opportunity. There's a lot of excess in America. The main idea of socialism being that people at the top are doing their fair share to help people at the bottom, trying to prevent disparity of income and trying to prevent excess, as you called it. So on campus, if there's a, a GPA disparity where there's people at the bottom with a poor GPA, mm -hmm. we do support a policy where people at the top spread the wealth and give that GPA to people at the bottom. Give, like help them get a better GPA? Yeah. I'm all for helping. I wouldn't give like, oh, let me just give you some of my points. But it's about being fair, right? We gotta help people at the bottom? I've lost a lot of sleep, so I don't know if I will be fair. It's hard. If I guess it would be kind of like hypocritical for me to say no. That's completely different. How is it different? Because I'm like studying all day for my grade. What do you mean by sharing it? Like literally like giving them a chunk of my GPA? Yep. yep. <laughs> um, dang. It's just, it's just so great. It is so great because suddenly the rubber hits the road and they realize that once it costs me, well, I'm not in favor of it anymore. I remember when I took, ripped the socialism out of my daughter when she was like 12, like no, she was like eight. And Barack Obama had just been elected president and he was going to become the, and he was, the most socialistic president that we had ever had. Uh, and she was a big fan of Barack Obama. And of course, my wife and I, we were not, but <laughs> because of his policies. And she, we went trick-or-treating and she went out with her younger, three-year younger brother that, uh, than her. And she's nine and he's six. And they went out and she, because she's very motivated as an older kid, she got a bunch of candy. So she's, so they came home. She's got this huge pile of candy and Connor's got a little smaller pile of candy, three years younger than her. So we said, here's socialism in action. Olivia, we're taking some of your candy and we're balancing out the scales. We put some of her candy in Connor's box or, 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 or container there. And she was absolved of the socialistic streak immediately. Nine years old and it was OVA for my daughter. But kids, you got to realize something. There is a whole side of the political aisle that is pushing socialism on you because they want to be your heroes. They want to be your saviors. And frankly, they know you're stupid enough to believe them. Uh, take Katie Porter, and this is phenomenal. On Bill Maher's real-time program, Katie Porter was asked, or the conversation went around to young people being ill-informed. And then she was talking about the fact that they're immature and they shouldn't have guns or they shouldn't have certain things that they, whatever it was, is a left-wing issue. And Katie Porter, a congressperson from California and probably Dianne Feinstein's replacement for the Senate in California, kind of self-owned herself self-owned herself, when she talked about young people being immature and voting for her. Watch. Are immature. That's why they're kids. Not, not at 21. Not all yes, over the world. 21 uh, year olds are different... immature. That's why we don't well, let you're them used, drink until you're... they're 21. That's why some of us don't think that 20 year olds or 19 year olds ought to be able to go get AR-15. They can go fight. I think there are they arguments. They can be in the army. Well, I think that's a, a discussion we should have because I think they the more vote. we know about I thought, brain, I thought if you vote, you should be able to have a certain level of maturity. They're deciding whether you should be in Congress or not. Well, I, and, I, and by the way, I win those votes. What? And I'm, I win those votes and I'm proud of it. But I, what I'm saying is you just said you win the votes of the immature. Well, but... <laughs> you know what that is? That is a amazing self-own by Katie Porter. Literally just confessing that young people are immature and ill-formed. Oh, and I win their votes. Um, so <laughs> give me more power so that I can take more of your money and give it to people who don't, don't earn their own money and don't take responsibility for their lives. 
ah, that's amazing when they actually let the truth seep out. But this is also pointing back to one of the bigger problems that you have to see right, ha right now happening with our government. And it is a repeated theme that I've talked about on this channel. First, government creates the problem and then it pretends to solve it. There are some people who run for government or work for government who want to be your savior. And so they need to create a problem that they alone can save you from. So they scare you with viruses and then offer you vaccines. They scare you with climate crises and then offer you more taxes while they fly around the country or the world in a private jet. They charge you extreme prices for school, and then they offer to save you from it through loan, quote unquote, forgiveness. Uh, by the way, one of the people who that flies around the country on private jet and then talks about left wing policies from the stage while she sings very popular songs is Taylor Swift. And all you got to do is a little fun, little fun um, project is Google the term Taylor Swift private jet usage and you will find this. Taylor Swift jet was in use for 170 days out of the first 200 days of the year and emitted 8,293 metric tons of CO2. That's 1,100 or almost 1,200 times more what the normal person emits each year, according to a report from the sustainable marketing firm Yard. Now, Taylor Swift, like I've talked about on the show before, is a left-wing propagandist who flies around the country complaining about all her boyfriends and bad breakups, and she is indoctrinating your kids, your teen girls, to believe what she believes. And she is phenomenally successful at doing this, and she is creating a whole host of future socialists who will be glad to celebrate her top number one songs while at the same time giving more of their money to the government. <laughs> well, at least she didn't attend college because it would only have made her stupider. Uh, but that's the problem. First, government creates the problem and then it offers the solution. Like, again, back to college tuition and fees. Uh, over the course of the last 30 years, college costs have increased 500%. Inflation of college costs 500% over the last 30 years. Uh, the, the average inflation percent of most products is like 30%. College, 500%. Why? Because they have, to create, they have to create a problem, then they have to offer you solutions that they can give you. Uh, take, for instance, the recent findings that the popular high-priced schools out there like Stanford University have more administrators, more staff than students. Stanford University has... 15,000 administrators, 2,200 faculty members, and 16,000 students. That means that the staff of Stanford University outnumber the school, the, the attendees of Stanford University by 1,100. More people, less people are paying the, the, the bill of Stanford than being on the dole of Stanford. In other words, you have basically functional, functional socialism, uh, top-down bureaucracy funded by the minions who come for the product at Stanford University. A Yale article highlights the ratio of students to administrators is now one-to-one. -one. That is one student for every administrator at the school. Who's paying the bills for those administrators? The students. So you have to pay, a student has to pay a salary for the administrator. That's, that's really where you get $75,000 a year education. Ford's talks about bureaucrats and buildings being the reason for high costs in colleges. And most of these staff are DEI administrators. That is people who are, who are teaching your kids to loathe themselves if they're white and feel bad for themselves if they're not white. Kids, just imagine for a moment how much a Big Mac would cost if, you ha if McDonald's had to have one staff member per person on staff every day for all those who would order a Big Mac that day. It would be like a $5,000 Big Mac, and it would be worth about the same amount as a gender studies degree from Stanford University. And here's the best part about being on staff at a college. You can't get, 
You can't get fired after a while. You get tenured, which means you can never be fired, which means you could mail it in for life, make $165,000 a year for pretty much mailing in and repeating the same stuff you've been teaching for 30 years about how capitalism is evil and socialism is awesome and you're creating a little socialist utopia for yourself there on, on college campuses. And this is what you get. You get people funding those who complain, claim to be experts. Government creates the problem and then it offers to solve the problem by having guys like Joe Biden walk around, march around the country, although he can't really march, more like limp around the country and promise to pay off your student loans, which is not actually paying it off, but pay, but asking plumbers and carpenters and day workers to pay for your gender studies degree from Stanford University. It's socialism. And this guy, this president that we have right now in office is all on board with this. Now, I consider him a meat puppet. That is, he is a very convenient um mindless leader who kind of dawdles around the White House while the deep state runs the country. Well, the other day from the Rose Garden, he said the scariest words I've ever heard from an American president. Literally said these words. I cannot believe them that he said it. No such thing as someone else's child. Listen. Rebecca put a teacher's creed into words when she said, there's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. Huh? What? That is the scariest thing I've ever heard an American president say. That's the scariest thing. Yes, my children are my children. They are not your children. Mm -mm. They are not your children. I I do not come to you to pay their bills, okay? If we want to make this claim that they're your children, then I'm coming to you for lunch for them tomorrow, okay? That that should be how it works. Let's, Let's follow this logic to its most extreme example. But this is the ideology of socialism. The government is one big mom and pop who takes care of all of us from the cradle to the grave. Now, the question is, how has it worked in countries where it's been tried? A lot of times, young Americans like to say, well, we haven't tried socialism properly in this country. Well, uh, a little while ago on PragerU video, Will Witt went to a um, convention of Romanian refugees who suffered from top-down communism. Now, that's the next step after socialism, top-down government control of a country. And these were Romanian refugees who came to America for freedom and opportunity. And Will Witt talked about this with them, about what's happening in America and what do they think of what's happening in America and what do they think of socialism, watch, or communism, watch. What do you think about America? Uh, when I think about America is, uh, I see the, the word that comes to my mind is opportunity, uh, equality, and success. What do you guys think of America? I think for us, at least East Europeans, ever since communism and everything, it's been like an influence and somebody I think we look up to, but now maybe we see it as a, what are they doing? (laughs) No, you can blame the left in America for that. I think that uh, America is an example. I I don't think that America is what it used to be, or at least the way we see it now is no longer the way it really is. What about you? Uh, Well, as everyone says, it's the land of possibilities. Uh, I think uh, it's the source of the change in the world at uh, the moment. So uh, Europe, including Romania, are just coping and doing the same. What is going to change in America is going to change here in a couple of years. Uh, In America, we have a lot of people who are praising communism. They say communism is great, socialism is great. We have members of Congress who are openly socialist. When you hear that from people in America, what does that make you feel as someone who lives in a country that has dealt with communism? Uh, well, I was one year old uh, at the revolution. 
but uh, we still feel the effects of communism today. I've heard a lot of horrible stories. Um, the food was scarce. You couldn't think uh, a lot of things. The things that we think today, you couldn't speak a lot of the things that we speak today. You couldn't gather so openly in a church because they were forbidden. For me, I'm glad we are over it, but I, I wouldn't want to see it anywhere else in the world. What would you say? Okay, can't speak, can't think, can't go to church. Sound familiar? Sounds like the last three years in this country with the COVID pandemic, although the COVID pandemic wasn't the problem, it was the government response to the COVID pandemic. And then the left-wing arguments about what you now can and cannot say. These things are coming to America, and those who have experienced them before are like, what are you doing, Americans? Don't be stupid. One of the other issues of socialism, one of the other arguments that we need more socialism for is because of how black people were treated in this country in times past, okay? And no one is making excuses for that. But the argument over reparations is another socialist talking point. Like, we need to pay black people back for slavery and Jim Crow and segregation. So Dr. Phil actually had a pro and con point of view back and forth with experts on both sides to discuss the issue of reparations in our country. One of the experts that he had on was named Bob Woodson. Bob Woodson is the founder and president. He's on the far right there of your screen. The founder and president of the Woodson Center. He wrote the book Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Here's what he had to say about the potential of paying black people back for slavery. You'll never believe the logic of his argument. Watch. If you dissect it, you will find there were about 3,700 free blacks who owned 12,000 slaves, black slaves. The question is, do the descendants of those free blacks who owned black slaves, do they pay? Blacks really uh, benefited more the first 100 years after slavery we have in the last 50 years. I was born in 1937 during the Depression. Everyone in my small, low-income black community, 98% of the households had a man and a woman raising children. Elderly people could walk safely in that community without fear of being assaulted by their grandchildren. Never heard a gunfire during that time. Never heard of a child being uh, shot to death in the crib. But there are 50 children today who have been shot and killed in our cities. If you talk, you're talking about remedies, we've got to look beyond uh, saying that, that every solution has to have a, a, a winner and a loser, that blacks can only benefit if whites lose. We have to be defined more than just victims of oppression. Yeah, ah, unbelievable. Uh, think about those facts, too, that he lays out there, because it's true. 3,000 blacks were freed before the Civil War. They took advantage of the freedom to own 12,000 black slaves of their own. And some of them were, according to even Dave Chappelle, talks about this in his special, The Closure. Closer. One of them was the worst, had the worst treatment for black slaves of all. Like he even had the white slave owner saying, whoa, that's pretty extreme what you're doing to the black slaves here. This is a tremendously inconvenient truth to the ideology of socialism because it's the idea that the government can provide a solution to every problem. It can't. It can't. Because when the government provides a solution to every problem, you become victims instead of people who produce and overcome. There is a tremendous value in life to overcoming obstacles. There is a tremendous value to being pushed down by others and yet pressing through in spite of that resistance and, and winning and accomplishing something. There's a sense of self-worth that comes. There's a joy. There's a satisfaction. Yes, some people can't push through and we got to help them. But more, more than often than not, the people who are pushed down can press through. 
And, and the scriptures should teach us Christians about that more than anything. The scriptures are a record of people who were pushed down. Uh, David, pushed down by his father, pushed down by his brothers, and won and beat Goliath. Um, who, who else? Jesus, <laughs> pushed down by Herod, pushed down by the religious establishment, and yet overcame. Paul, pushed down by the Jewish you know, establishment, pushed down by haters in the paganist religions. They pushed through and wrote one third of the New Testament. We are taught in the scriptures to press through obstacles, not consider obstacles to be a per or perpetual excuse to feel like you're a victim and then demand that the government solve your problems. Another inconvenient truth about slavery that no one mentions is the number of white people who were enslaved by North Africans in the centuries before this country was even started. This is given by Thomas Sowell uh, in an interview. I think this is with the Hoover Institution. And watch his argument reasoning here. And so if you're going to have reparations for slavery, it's going to be the greatest transfer of wealth back and forth uh, and, 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 and cross-hauling, as they say in, in the railroads. Because the, the number of, of whites, for example, who were enslaved in uh, North Africa by the Barbary pirates exceeded the number of Africans enslaved in the United States and in the American colonies before that put together. I know, but nobody is going to North Africa to ask for reparations because mm -hmm. nobody is going to be fool enough to give it to them. Uh, here we have, we have intellectuals who can, who can imagine a different history from the rest of the world, even though it's so similar to the rest of the rest of the world. Yeah. We can reimagine a history of America that makes it necess necessary for government to get more involved in the economic system of our culture, of our, of our, of our country. Uh, meanwhile, what is the government doing right now to Christians? Like this news does not get out there because again, it's not with the corporate news networks. It's not in league with their narrative. This is from the Catholic News Agency finding out that F the FBI was used uh, to investigate Catholics. Uh, a new document revealed that the Richmond Federal Bureau of Investigation, that's the Richmond FBI, used at least one undercover agent to obtain information about traditional Catholics. Uh, it says in response to its inquiry, the committee announced it received from the FBI a heavily redacted 18-page document that uncovered limited information about the agency's efforts to investigate a supposed link between traditional Catholics and the far-right white nationalist movement. <laughs> so they were investigating Latin-speaking masses. So if you go to a Catholic church where there's the, the masses in Latin, and I know there's a few still left, you might have been visited by an FBI agent in our country. This is what the FBI is doing, really, investigating Latin-speaking masses. Uh, the leaked memo actually found that the wording was, the label that they gave to uh, these Catholics were radical traditional Catholics as possible domestic threats. That's from the FBI. That's from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Basically, the president's police force is investigating churches in our country. You know, those pesky churches who present an alternative to government intervention and everything. Like this kind of inconvenient news for those who want more socialism and bigger government. A church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, purchased $3 million worth of a local resident's debt, debt paid it off, and then burned the debt. This is Trinity Moravian Church, again, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They saw the people in the area suffering needlessly under the burden of medical debt. That's the number one reason why Americans go bankrupt, even more than mortgage defaults and foreclosures. Uh, the church holds a debt jubilee project to buy up local medical 
debt and then burns it in a ceremony. Reverend John Jackman calls the debt jubilee product a perfect real-world parable for what God does for us, going on to outline the impacts of medical debt on families. A stay in the hospital can send a family into poverty or bankruptcy. He's determined to keep that from happening in the communities near his church. Yes, that's what the church does. So it's far more generous. It's far more helpful. It's far more neighborly. It's far more community-centered. It's far more interaction-based, like face-to-face, not social media scrolling-based. And it actually creates a better, safer, happier, more positive community. That's what you want, Christians. Less government, more God. Less control from Washington, D.C., and more Holy Spirit involvement in your community. Because guess what the Holy Spirit does that the government can't do? He can be with you in all things, strengthen you for all things, and love you through all things, and in spite of all things, right? Thankfully, and this is my last bit of bad news, but maybe it's a little bit of positive positive news. Um, There are a few Catholics who are still ready to take a stand for truth and faith. Take the story of Greg Williams. Greg Williams was a Latin and Greek professor at the St. Joseph Seminary College in Louisiana. He was also a hobby pilot who started offering flights for women to states where they could kill their babies through abortion after Roe v. Wade was struck down. This guy worked for a Catholic school and then flew women around the country to get opportunity to kill their children. (laughs) He gave the flights to women. He probably posted pics on Facebook, on his own Facebook account, had a huge grin here as as is in this picture. Imagine having that kind of a grin while flying a girl across the country to kill her unborn child. Well, the Catholic school decided to fire him. And that only makes sense, right? Since you're actually, you know, producing carbon to kill kids, maybe, just maybe you shouldn't work for a Catholic institution. Good on this Catholic school, by the way, for taking an actual stand. And the news reports here that Williams is not able to sue the school for termination because Louisiana is an at-will employment state, meaning that you can be fired for almost anything. So, no, this guy cannot sue because he was wrongfully terminated. But guess what the article says? Greg Williams said that he is now speaking up about the end of his seven-year tenure at St. Joseph to shine a light on the harsh reality of at-will employment. In other words, because the, the church stood for its religious principles, now Greg Williams is going to fight for the government to have more control over those religious principles. <laughs> this is the victim mindset of the socialist proponents. This is exactly what they want. They want to control your life from the cradle to the grave. That's the bad news. Now, we're going to do a couple of points on good news because I want to end our time together on a positive note, not a negative one. So let's do two two examples of really good news. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. The first good news item is about country music star Granger Smith. I've never heard of him until now, but evidently Granger Smith has decided to make this summer's tour of his country music band or show his last because he's going to quit the music industry to to do what? Well, listen to it for yourself. Hey guys, I've been so nervous to make this video just because of the implications of what it means for my life and my family. But I'm making this video, I'm making this post to announce that this summer is my last ever tour. I have felt a strong desire to pursue ministry. And this doesn't mean I'm gonna start a church or a crusade or a revival. Um, This means that me and my family are gonna serve our local church. We're gonna pour into that church as members and have my pastors and elders pour into me and disciple me and teach me as as I sit under their wise teaching. And then Lord willing, one day they can affirm me into the next steps of what that might look like to 
glorify God best from my platform. I've also been attending seminary, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and that, that just takes a ton of, ton of time to pursue my MA there. Amen. A couple things about this video. Did you notice his humility, his respect for the church? Um, the mention of serving at his local church as he pursues an education to prepare for ministry. This kind of mentality is so necessary today in our culture of self-idolatry. In fact, from a Christian Post article, he talks about this in an interview saying that it was self-idolatry that led him to walk away from country music. What a testimony. Remember the scripture says the last days will be marked by people being lovers of themselves. That's 2 Timothy 3. Uh, how many in the church and outside the church use music to promote self? It happens in the church too. That stage becomes an idol for so many young singers and so many young performers. They want to perform that minister. Let us not forget that Lucifer did that exact thing in heaven. Ezekiel chapter 28 talks about that he was uh, made with timbrels and pipes. He was the worship leader of heaven, heaven and he allowed his um, talents to become his idol. And here you have Granger Smith walking away from that love of self to serve, to humble himself, to get involved in his local church, to give himself to a community and a guarantee that he will be much better off both mentally and spiritually as a result. We need to see that more and more and we need to expound on that more and more in our country and in news uh, outlets. Uh, another news item that's positive, which doesn't sound positive, but it is. Christian known for evangelizing Muslims, leading many to Christ, stabbed to death in Uganda. This is the Christian Post reporting. Out of Nairobi, uh, Kenya, I've actually been there. Muslim extremists killed a Christian who was effective in leading Muslims to Christ. Uh, they uh, accused him of misleading Muslims and leading them out of the Muslim religion and leading them to Christianity. So they stabbed and killed him, and he was found by somebody driving on the road where he had been stabbed and killed. And that engineer uh herbert uh i guess it's herbert of soranco district i don't know if his name is engineer herbert or if that's his occupation but nonetheless whatever his name is he is now with the lord jesus christ and that is why it is good news because though he is dead and killed by this world where you have muslim extremists targeting christians for persecution and <laughs> nobody really cares about that because they're not transgender. Um, <laughs> you have him now in the presence of Jesus. He has finished the race. He has won the crown of righteousness that the Lord has in store for those who love his appearing. And that's why it's good news, because it reminds us that this life is not the life. This life is not the end. And what we do for Christ is really all that matters in this life. Amen. As the great church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. If you keep killing us, the church is only going to keep growing. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that throughout church history. And we may be seeing that in Africa right now. So stand strong, Christians. And what seems to be bad on this earth is actually great news in heaven and in the age to come. Amen. That's the news portion and most of the show, but I'm going to do something I don't usually do on the deep end. I'm going to answer viewer email because this email that came in recently really touched my heart, resonated with my life, and I want to answer it. So to viewer email on the deep end, Martin from the Netherlands watching, here's what he sent me. Dear Tim, first of all, I want to say thank you for such a great channel you have and for everything you do. Keep up the good work. Forgive me for my bad English. I'm from the Netherlands. I came to faith a couple of years ago, and because I got really sick last year for a long time, I got the opportunity to know God in a different way. I got healed in a wonderful way, and because of that period of, my, of being sick, my faith boasted or boosted high up in the sky. 
But <clears throat> for right now, I'm struggling with school because after I graduate from high school, I'm 16. I really want to go into ministry, but my parents want me to go to college and study for a couple of years. But it feels like a waste of time because I could have done so much more. So my question is, what should I do with this? And how do you, or how do I, sorry, how do I find the wise answer to this much? Greetings, and I hope you can help Martin. First of all, thank you, Martin, for your question and your email. I answer your email on the deep end today because this is kind of my story. Here's my answer to you. I believe that God has his hand on all aspects of our life, even the aspects that seem to be obstacles. Hear that again. God has his hands on even the aspects of your life that seem to be obstacles in your life. And God knows the desires of your heart and your desire to serve him in ministry is a great desire. You might be amused to hear that my mother, who was a pastor's kid herself, really didn't want me to be involved in ministry work because she experienced it from a kid's point of view. And back then, churches were not great to pastors and they really struggled financially to raise and support their children. So she wanted me to pursue an engineering degree, mostly computer engineering, and earn lots of money so that I could supply the needs of my children. I only wanted to serve Christ in his church. That was in my heart. And my mother knew it, but more importantly, God knew it. And as much as I loved my mother then, I still do. She definitely was kind of standing in the way of me going to Bible school and pursuing ministry. So here's what happened. I'll pass it on to you and perhaps give you some help. I just kept seeking God. I just kept pursuing him in prayer, worship, serving in my local church. I would spend nights in the scriptures, not every night, but some nights. And every night I would go to bed listening to the Bible on tape just to absorb the word of God in my life, even as a teen. I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I pursued him, not the ministry. I pursued him as much as possible. As well as that, I got involved in my church on a volunteer basis, serving wherever I could, being involved in music, being involved in kids, youth ministry, whatever it could, whatever, wherever the door opened, I would serve and be involved in ministry practically at that point. Well, here's how God went to work. As I served him and sought him, he worked on my behalf. Eventually, my mother had a conversation with a pastor whom she highly respected and talked about her dilemma of letting me go to Bible college when she wanted me to go to secular college and earn a computer degree. His, his words were incredibly wise. He said to her, let him go to Bible school for one year. If there is no call of God in his life, he will quit and you can send him to secular university and can pursue that vocation. Because she respected this man of God, she took his advice and the rest is history. She let me go to Bible school and I did have a call of God and it was genuine. And I pursued ministry extensively from that point forward. There was no turning back and God made a way and it was patently clear to my mother that that's what God had put on my life and in my heart, and he wanted that for me. She eventually relented. I finished my college degree, eventually went to seminary, and I've been involved vocationally in ministry for 25 years. But looking back, Martin, I see God's hand on even the parts of this journey that seem to be obstacles. Again, God's hand was on the parts of my journey that seemed to be obstacles, and his hand will be on your journey, even the parts that seem to be obstacles. God can use someone to speak to your parents in a way that you cannot. And even if he doesn't do that, trust him to use whatever education they insist you get to help you later in life. I don't know, maybe you need some kind of secondary education so that you can fund uh, vocational, uh, non-vocational ministry or part-time vocational ministry in your future. What I want to say is that as with the case of the bread and the fishes that are multiplied for the thousands, Jesus says to them, pick up the leftovers that none be wasted. Here's what God does. He doesn't waste anything in our lives. He won't waste your schooling, even if your parents insist on you going there. So be patient. His plans are perfect. His plans are wonderful. And they will prevail as you seek him and put him first in your life. 
He makes a way where there seems to be no way. He is the way maker, as we like to sing in our modern Christian songs today. I hope that helps. God bless you for watching. Thanks for watching way over in the Netherlands. God bless you guys over there. Guys, that is the show. I'm so glad that you were here. If you would, check out the store, timhatchlife.com, for some swag, some sweet new swag on the, on the uh, website there. Or you can just support the channel financially through the Cash App or timhatchlife.com slash support. And any support financially that you give, we put back into the channel to expand its influence. I hope to have the deep dive tomorrow night. No guarantees, but I'm going to try my best. Got a very busy day tomorrow with some stuff in my church and in life. But keep yourself with those notifications on your smartphone. Like I say always, subscribe to the channel. Click that notification bell because then you know. I don't have to tell you. Then you know. Are we live? Are we not live? Are we on? Are we not on? That's how you find out. Anyway, God bless you guys. I hope to see you tomorrow night. If not next week on the deep end. No, deep end. No, there is no deep end next week. Sorry, but it'll be back in two weeks. God bless you. Have a great night in Jesus name.